Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible and this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Well, welcome again. This week, we're shifting the focus, and I'm excited because we have two co-hosts this week. We've got Ricky Brooks our main man, and we've got Allison joining us for um, a special treat this week. Welcome, both of you. Thank you for allowing me to be here, as always. And welcome, Allison. Well, thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited for this topic. So this topic, originally, I was, I was planning to go a different direction, but it was suggested. And actually, Allison, I believe you were the one that suggested, you know, this month is so focused on other people, romantic relationships and, and whatnot, that it's a great idea to focus on abiding in light of that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Our episodes are going to be a bit shorter this month, um, just to kind of to rein it in a little bit. But I wanted to focus this first one on abiding in our singleness. It just so happens all of us are single. So this this works out really well um, for that. But a lot of times, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, it's a big focus to have someone in your life. And and I know my grandma, bless her heart, she's 99 this year. And every time I call her, it's the same conversation. It's whether it's do I have a girlfriend yet? And it's are my kids in school yet? It's, a, it's always the same conversation. And I love to have the conversation every single time because I just chuckle at the expectation. Do you have a girlfriend yet? No, I, no, I don't have a girlfriend. But I went out on a date with myself the other day. So there's that cultural expectation that we have. There's that filial or that family expectation that we get paired with someone and then we're okay. We'll be, we'll be okay as long as we find someone. And you may have felt that. You may have heard that. That may have even been an expectation that's been thrown at you, but I wanted to look at it in three different areas as we walk through this. The first area I want to see is is there's, I think there's a few needs that I've identified in my life when it came to a relationship. Doesn't mean it was a healthy relationship, but I've always felt a need for another to depend on, like to depend on someone else. I've also felt a need for another person in my life to share my thoughts and my heart with. But then also, I felt this need for another to help fulfill my desires, to make my dreams come true. So I want to look at all three of those areas as we walk through in the lens of abiding. So as we open this up, Ricky and Allison, let's start with this first one, the need for another to depend on. I think this is a pretty common one in movies, in our culture, We've got to have someone else that we can depend on. So let's talk about this. Whoever wants to start it is, how does abiding look counter to this 
or how can abiding help us in this? Well, of course, it's the it's the end all to end alls in terms of how to answer it. Let me explain that from what my perspective. Well, in a bit of a clarification, it's kind of two sides of the coin. There is a sense, I believe, that we do need another to depend on. We need others to depend on. So God's word is filled with the whole idea of community, right? In, from the book of Genesis, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Adam, Adam needed Eve. So there's a, there's a case to be made that we depend on one another. But biblically, from a biblical point of view, from the Lord Jesus's motif of abiding, as we've discussed and defined, that dependency on others is always placed under the canopy, under the umbrella, under the overarching idea that our complete dependence is upon God abiding. So Vanita and I, and for those that don't know, she's in heaven, so hence I'm a, a, a widower. We came to understand that in the sense of marriage, probably the best marriage is the marriage of two people who do not need one another. And I think it's that sense of dependence that you have in mind. I need the other person in order to be whole. I need to depend on someone else in order to be whole. And the reality is I only need to need or depend on God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be whole. And when both partners need God in that way, where God is our total sufficiency, then we are prepared to give ourselves completely one to another and then have a mutual dependence so that I could, I can say, I just, I just can't live without her in, in a romantic sense to just, you know, be gasping for air to get home, you know, from work in the evening. Uh, if, I, if I was gone for a weekend or something, uh, I, I, you know, it's hard to keep my, hard to keep my foot off the gas pedal to get home in time, that kind of sense of, I just, I need you, honey. I need you, baby. So they kind of blend together if we, if we get the structure right. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So if we, if we bring it in light and that was exactly what I was talking about, that dependent nature of like, I absolutely cannot function without you. You know, it's the, it's the, the Disney princess, like, I just need you in my life. Right. So Allison, looking at this in the Mm -hmm. single perspective, the need for another to depend on. Let's look at two things, at least for you, if you're, if you're willing to open up. One is, were, were you in that in your season of singleness where you felt like that was either a cultural norm or just something that you had to have a, a man in your life? And as you've come through in this new walk of abiding, how has that changed in your life? Can I share two perspectives, like one pre-marriage, one post-marriage? Wow. Yeah, that's great. For dependence changed. So prior to getting married, I watched a ton of my friends like get pursued by other guys and the world screams so loud about dating, marriage, all that fun stuff. I even have a journal entry of remembering 
back in elementary school, how our cafeteria be filled with Valentine's Day um, balloons and flowers and stuff like that. And my family does a good job of showing love on a daily basis. So that wasn't really our thing, but it did impact me. And so my, I ended up having like this innate need and desire for to be pursued and fully loved, like the unfailing love that God provides. I was like searching hardcore in the world for that. I wanted that, that Disney princess, but someone that just thought I was their world and amazing. And it, it led to a lot of heartache because I was searching the world for something that only God could give going through the marriage and after marriage, I would say that need actually kind of changed because God did a good job right after of planting his unfailing love in me. So I, I read through Psalms right after to really learn who he was and highlighted characteristics. And the one word he gave me was unfailing love. And that song, oh, Reckless Love came out at the same time that I got divorced. I mean, we played it on repeat all the time. Like, I'm going to knock down walls. I will tear down lies coming after you. Like, nothing will stop me from coming to you and loving you. And so I was starting to get that sense of love from him. However, I had the world screaming about, are you dating? And the idea of having two people in a home. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I definitely had the goal of trying to get remarried while Austin was still young so that he wouldn't know anything. Otherwise, it would kind of help with that smooth transition. I also had, I would say most of the time with the deep loneliness and need for dependency is because I was tired. Doing the single parenting, working alone all the chores, all the tasks would get so heavy and I would just break down crying and saying, I need somebody else to the effect that I think maybe year and a half into the single parenting. I mean, I, I tried online dating, definitely not for me, uh, not my style. It was there that I just decided I needed to stop and wait for God on that. Now I could say that God was my husband. I know I said it quite often. I also know there were several, and I mean, several conversations with God about this after getting married or getting divorced. And so many times of like, I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. And that just pull and that tug that we have, I had so many conversations and so many times of being like, okay, if this is not what you have for me, can you please remove that desire? And it just, it's kind of just started there and he would just take me on this journey and bring fruition. Some of the experiences that happened in my past and kind of the desires that I have like for a big family. And then I was able to hand that back over to him. And every time I handed it over to him in full surrender, knowing that he is good, He is our provider. He is our comforter and reading in Hosea, he, he is our husband. It says you'll move from being, call me your master to your husband. Hosea is excellent book to read for this month. If you're looking for an example of God's love and how he pursues us. So I would strongly recommend that one. 
that pursuit, God just showed me that all this time and through my life, whether it was being pursuing or pursuing that men see, know, and hear me, no matter who they were, friends, through work, everything, I was really desiring to be seen, known, and heard deep down inside, not for what I did, but for who I was. And God showed me through the continual surrender that he's been pursuing me all this time. Mm -hmm. So what I was actually desiring and it continually failed with the world, he was doing it with me and he was patient and faithful. And what he also showed me is through the world, every time I chased it in the world, they really just want what seems the best to them at that point in time. So they will chase it and give you all the attention and love until something new and shiny comes along. Mm -hmm. And then you feel empty and then you want it again. And then you change yourself because you've got to be the next best thing. Mm. And then you're given the next best thing. And then maybe they approve it for a little bit, but it just, it's an exhausting cycle. And I lived in that cycle for over 30 years. Wow but it was through just continually talking to God and continually surrendering it over to him and recognizing what I was looking for in someone else. And then saying, I need you to do that for me. Uh, he does it tenfold. I am so content. Like you talk Ricky, about uh, Genesis. When I read about Paul, where he would say, it's better to be alone. If you can mm -hmm. remain alone, I'm not a lie. I got very angry with that for most of my years. I was like, God, don't do that to me. Don't yeah. do that. I had fear too. I was like, please don't do that. And now I get it. Yeah. And I would not trade the contentment that I have in him for anything else in this world. Wow. That's just profound. That's powerful. Well said. You know, too, also you are in having shared what you said, you know, living in this state of abiding, you would, you know, if God brought somebody into your life, there's less of a need for that person to be perfect for you. It greatly, greatly, greatly reduces that whole thing of our spouse being our, our, our savior, saving us from our loneliness, saving us from our despair, propping our ego up every day. And, and as a result, then, you living without that desperate need because it's fulfilled in God, you're free then to give yourself to someone in a way that is incredibly attractive to somebody because they don't have to then rise to perfection day after day after day. It's amazing what abiding in God does for marriages. It relieves the spouse from the need to be perfect in order for the other to feel good about him or herself. And then because we feel good about ourselves, it allows us to give ourselves more fully to the other person, which is a thing that in brokenness, the other one wants from us, but we can't give it to him until we're abiding in the Lord. It, it just reverses the entire relationship in such a wonderful and, and incredible way. Uh, that's a powerful testimony. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks. 
So let's shift into the second one then. The need for another to share our thoughts and our heart with. I think one of the big things that I really desired in a relationship after my marriage had dissolved was I just wanted someone to be able to share my thoughts, my heart with, like if I had a good day at work, a bad day at work, I just wanted to be able to sit down with someone and just vent, just tell them, you know, my sorrows, my pains, struggles that my kids go through. I just wanted to sit down and be able to share with someone. Like, it seems so silly that that was it, but that's for the longest time. That's all I wanted out of a relationship. I didn't need the physical or the sexual. I didn't, I didn't even need like the, the close proximity. I just wanted maybe even just to call someone. And Ricky, you know, you approached me and I think it was mid 2019 or something. And, and basically the words from your mouth were just read Psalm 119. You say you want to desire God's word, which is where my heart was. I really did want to, to eat God's word like, like manna. And so Ricky, you just kept saying Psalm 119. And we would, we would have discourse over text messaging. You said that before where I just like insert this like 15 text page text to you. And then you'd come back with some scripture, but I just wanted someone to do that. And I wasn't feeling that I'm going to use the word feeling. I wasn't mm -hmm. feeling like I was getting that from God. I could pray, but I didn't feel like, you know, that's that, that verb feel. Right. So the more that I walked through Psalm 119 and understood a little bit more, and then, you know, I think it was around October, November that we started walking through the abiding discipleship and man, I ate that stuff up, but it was probably mid 2020 when I really started to understand it. And then my thoughts started to change around July and August of 2020 my thoughts started changing and I had these amazing moments. And I've told this one before, but this one really stands out where before I would feel ashamed to go to a, a Red Robin is, my, is our place and our family to go. And I would feel ashamed going to Red Robin alone. Like everyone's watching me, even though I'd look around and no one was actually paying any attention to me at all or to a movie. Oh, I can't go to a movie alone. I got to, I have to find someone. Well, it wasn't till probably, I think it happened in August of 2020, where I was at home and I was doing the dishes and I was trying to spray them in the spray nozzle that had hot water and I missed the plate and I shot myself right in the stomach. And in typical Chris Bryant fashion, I over-dramatized it and I acted like I was Bugs Bunny back in the Looney Tunes who got shot. Oh, dreadful. I've been shot. And, you know, if I had had some sort of a spouse or someone in my life, that would have been the moment to share. And instead of going into this despair or the sadness or the sorrow that I didn't have, what was cool is I did have, and I was able to communicate that to the Lord as if he was standing in the kitchen watching me do this. And I fell to the ground and I said, oh, I don't know if I can make it, Lord, but it's been a pleasure. And whatever I said, I don't remember what I said exactly, but it was, it was as good as Bugs Bunny would have been. <laughs> but I started laughing and it was the most hearty, joyful laugh that I had experienced probably in a decade. I don't know mm -hmm. if I had laughed that joyfully in a decade. And I just felt the presence of the Lord there. And by that, I meant 
I, I had his love surrounding me. I knew who I was in him. I had confidence that he was there wrapping me up. And it just seemed like he was there laughing with me. If Jesus had been there, he probably would have been on the floor laughing with me or just at least smiling down at me. And I felt like in that moment, I could share my heart and my thoughts with the risen Savior. Because as we say at the end of every one of our podcasts, him and the Father came to make their abode in my heart, as well as the Holy Spirit. And all of them, I was able to share that special moment with. And it was just such a beautiful time. And I've had many times since then that I've experienced sharing my thoughts, my feelings, my hurts, my joys, all of those things with God, that it's taken away a lot of that innate desire, that desire inside of me that says, I need someone in my life. And I no longer need someone in my life. I can just, I can, I can enjoy the moments as they come and not have that underlying thought, oh, if I only had someone to share this with, I would just be so much better. Oh, my kid did this funny thing. Oh, I don't have anyone to share it with. Well, of course I do. And it's, it's shifted my mindset quite a lot. And it's taken a lot of those desires of, I need someone in my life, or I, I want someone in my life to, God, did you see that? Did you see when Hudson or Wyatt or Quinn or Ellie did this thing? And it's just, it's an, it's a joyful experience is, is really what I've found. Well, that's interesting. You, you began by saying, and you emphasized, you said, I used the word feeling. I, I need to, I need to talk about feelings. And now you just ended with joyful, right? And I, I think this is one of the missing components in Christian theology, church talk. In fact, in many cases, we, we do emotions a disfavor because we'll say, well, salvation is not based on a feeling. It's based on truth. And of course, that's correct. It is correct. And then also we can point to segments of Christianity that seem to utilize a heightened emotional experience as the evidence of the reality of Christianity. So we're constantly looking for a mountaintop example. So on both ends of the extreme of the continuum, they're both out of bounds. However, emotions are very, very important because if we fail to experience God in a relational sort of way, it's really hard to be dependent upon him because he's an intellectual concept that I believe in. I can believe in him with all the reality of my mind and my heart, but if it's only propositional and I don't experience that, then I look for some other kind of experience. And so I look for the ecstatic joy that I get in a great worship service or a prayer time or the, uh, the pastor's preaching and he tells an incredibly emotional story as an illustration but all of that bypasses what Jesus said in the primary text about abiding in chapter 15, verse 11 of the Gospel of John. After talking about abiding in him, abiding in his fruit, his love, his word, just as he does with the Father, he then says, and my joy will be made complete in you. Well, this is the counterbalance to lust. This is the counterbalance to the evil desires that we experience. And that's the very word desire that was used when Adam and Eve first committed sin. So emotions are part of our life. What kind of emotion will we experience? 
Well, in that process of you pouring God's word into your life and growing closer to him, and he started parroting his own word back to you, you began to experience those moments of illumination. And then it happens more and more frequently where we're constantly going, oh, there you are again. Thank you, Father. Oh, there you are again. Thank you, Jesus. And the true joy of a relationship of abiding with the Trinity starts to take over. And then you just fall on the floor with a wet belly laughing, having fellowship <laughs> with the one that you're most intimate with, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it truly is a complete relationship. And, and, and of course, then the need, the, the overarching need for another human being to fulfill us is no longer in play. And now we can await we could even pursue another relationship. That would not be wrong. It'd be okay. And if God blesses us and we have that relationship, you know, that we, we might want, it will be in the right framework. It will be under the right perspective. It will be wrapped at least in our abiding love for God. And then we can share that with, with someone else who who from day to day we can depend on one another and share our thoughts with and cry with and laugh with and problem solve with. So, you know, I, I watching you do that has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of the journey. If I join in on there on the feelings, because yeah. Yeah. we were talking about that and rereading through Genesis three, right after they sin. Mm talks about when God asks them, where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And Chris, when you're talking about that, how many of us, if you look at the real world in the dating scene, it kind of preaches that message of like putting your best foot forward at all times. So even communicating with a friend the other day that they're dating again, like it's just hard because it's two broken people trying to be perfect or not broken. And it just made me think, how much do we apply those dating procedures to God? So we need to be perfect in order for him to love us or for us to even open up our hearts. So you're talking about wanting to share your thoughts and hearts with somebody. We want to do that in a safe area. And I think we just struggled to really take God's truth in and understand that he is talking to us. Like you're saying, Ricky, the more I pour into God's word and the more instances I have of like, God, here's what's on my heart. This is what I'm dealing with. Please show me your word, your truth. And he answers every time. Mm -hmm. And I just, that joy comes in and it just keeps building and it, it heals. And I'm like, I do, I am heard. I am known. I am seen. But I struggled a long time to even get to that point with God because that innate programming to hide who I am. So I yeah. wouldn't be disappointed, but he's the one person we're safe with. The one person that actually pursued us when we were at our worst. Yeah. Everybody else in the world only pursues us when we are at our best or what they think is their our best. And, you know, and he keeps on pursuing us. Correct. You know, 
you can't outgrow the relationship. You, you, you can't become mature enough in which he goes, okay, I've given you enough of my love. Uh, you're good. You're good to go. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's never going to happen. He, he pursues us constantly. And I was just talking to my daughter recently and, and she, she was saying, you know, it's funny dad, this, you know, as we abide in the Lord, that we come to those times when in full recognition of an intimate relationship with God, and then there's a choice before us or something we know we have to do. And, and, and it would, and it would please the heart of God. And yet there's still that fleshy thing that says, even though I know you're the most important thing in my life, even though I know I'm about to step over the precipice of not trusting you for this one, I'm going to go that way anyway. But even in that moment of time, he is the most loving of relational beings. And we understand that even in our rebellion, his hands are there wide open. Now, he might choose with those wide open, hands to remove some blessing or discipline us in some kind of way. But what comes from abiding is knowing that that relationship's never going to go away. And therefore, the path back to, to the obedience part of abiding is made so much quicker. And the healing of where I begin to cause it to fray heals so much quicker with each successive time I go through that. Until I think I've known some saints, you know, older saints, uh, a couple, you know, a handful of people in my life that I can point to their life and go, sin was a very seldom occurrence in their life because of their intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, and I, I long for that. I, <laughs> I long to not worry about the junk in my head late at night. And, and I think it's going to come. I get, I'm getting better at it. All of us are. It's so. interesting thing that you said also, Allison, when you went to Genesis and pointed out, I was afraid mm-hmm. that chapter, you know, chapter three is filled with this angst, this emotion, you know, and even in when they're disbarred from the garden and he says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. I'd encourage people to look that passage up and find out what that word desire means. It's not romance. It's not like, oh, I just want to be with you, Adam. <laughs> it's, it's a desire bordering on, on, on insanity. He has to fulfill her as not what marriage was supposed to be. It's the exact opposite. So that, that breaking, breaking relationship with God always leads the place where we expect other people to become God for us, our savior. Going off of what both of you had kind of said with, with the idea, you know, in the garden, when they were fully dependent on the Lord, including his definition of good and evil. Yes. They, they prospered, but it was when they wanted to define good and evil that, things went wrong but we think of that in like this metaphorical sense but think about in our own lives Allison and you mentioned this like the world tells you to put your best foot forward the world also tells you it's it's best that you go date it's you got to do it right after you get out of a divorce because then you know this it's it's going to be the best what do they do they're they're literally doing Genesis 3 all over again they're defining 
what is best, right? What is good and what is evil? What's well, good, good for you to get back out there. You got to, you got to get the rolling or, you know, whatever the terminology is or something, you got to get the gears grinding in your head on what romantic relationship and, and language sounds like you got to start writing up your poetry. And, but ultimately, <laughs> even if that's fair or good at best, it's not great. It's not fantastic. It's not the fullness of joy that Jesus is talking about. So when we try to take control of that and we take independence as our main framework from the Lord and we try to put it in someone else, we end up the same thing in the same position as Adam and Eve, which was naked and ashamed. We feel just anxiety. We feel this manic need for dependence on another human being. But when, we, when we're able to step back and look and say, listen, these desires that I have in my heart, I give to you, Lord. I surrender this desire for another person in my life. I surrender this desire to have someone to just cherish, and I give that to you. Then all of a sudden, I'm allowing him to define what's best in my life. And then as I pour through, as we do the first one, we depend on him. As we do the second one that we talked about, we share our thoughts with the Lord. We share our heart with the Lord. We build that trust and intimacy. We, we have that reciprocated through his word in our life. We call that illumination, right? Where the Holy Spirit communicates his word to us. When we have that, then all of a sudden, now we're living the best, now we're living what God truly called us to, which is that absolute dependent relationship on him. And then as we go into this third one, the need for another to fulfill our desires, our desire then becomes what our, our true nature is, our spirit nature, which is a desire for him, a desire for him, for his will, for the identity that comes from him. It desires constant worship, constant prayer, constant reading his word. I just want to write my poetry for him. I got my gears grinding in my head, you know, trying to think of the, the romantic relationship, realizing that I'm the bride at this point and he's the groom. And just just feeling that illustration as, as the Lord had called it out in our own lives. That's where we bring that joy and contentment, knowing that, wow, even in my singleness, the Lord fulfills all of the desires of my heart. And then, like you said, Ricky, if if all of a sudden there's there's a calling into something different, well, that's that's great. But I already have this solid foundation that now I don't have to lower my standards in order to find someone, right? Like, oh, well, they have to be Christian and they have to know what the Bible is. They have to go to church. You know, we have this checklist. And then when they only meet, like they say they're a Christian and I think they own a Bible, that's good enough, right? You know, like, instead of all that, I can say, you know what, Lord, I'm good in you. And this person, they got a lot of work to do. I don't think this is for me. Right. We can step back instead of now. Well, I need someone, Lord. And, and this person has two legs and two arms. So I suppose that's a pretty good start. You know what I'm saying? I do know. And, and but you could also say, Lord, this person has a a, a lot of needs this person has a lot of hurt this person has been harmed by life and and then you and but you still fall in love with that person recognizing that and your need fulfillment in god makes you such a greater candidate 
to be a great spouse for that other person. But, and, and, you know, that's love. That, that's the kind of love that the Bible talks about. Earlier, Allison, you mentioned this, the story of the prophet Hosea. Well, Hosea was a model of God. He was the perfect candidate, the, the holy man of God, the prophet. You know, in the eyes of his community, when he chose to marry Gomer, I mean, they had to thought he'd lost his mind. But, <laughs> well, yeah. but, but he was the perfect candidate because he was healthy with God in his life. And he became the kind of husband that any woman would want. He was faithful. He was self-sacrificing. Uh, he was forgiving. He he went out of his way, even when she rejected him, and on and on it goes. So on both sides, whether or not you choose to follow up in a relationship, because, well, uh, I'm not ready for all of that. And my walk with God tells me so. Or my abiding in God could say, uh, you know, on a daily basis, I'm not so sure I want to deal with that dysfunction. But I can, because the Lord is with me. I'm, I'm healthy in the Lord. It's, it's an amazing adjustment that, that takes place, you know. And the other piece too, you know, it, it can almost sound like, it might possibly sound like to some people that we're suggesting that, well, you, you, you have to be holier than thou then to marry somebody, or, you, you know, you have, you have to expect other people to be perfect. No, the exact opposite. We recognize that we're not. We're just recognizing that our needs are met by God. And, that, and, and part of loving somebody would be loving them and including the conversation of, you know, are we coming to God with this relationship? Are we placing our, our relationship on the altar before the Lord and letting him be my savior and your savior? And we will just be happy co-partners in a relationship of worshiping God. And it's not about asking the other people to be perfect and in any way, shape, or form. A kind of funny, funny anecdote in my case, I became single because of the death of my wife. I'm telling you, not two or three days went by. I mean, it was a it was a tragic, unexpected occurrence. It was really, really hard. And not two or three days went by before men in my life began to talk to me about my next wife. Wow. It was that fast. And everything from, well, your children are going to need a woman in their life to, you know, you don't, you don't, you won't want to spend the rest of your life lonely and empty. And, and in many cases, these were well-educated Christian guys. You know, you don't want to spend your life empty. And I'd be like, that sounds kind of crazy coming from you. And, you know, when we talk about God all the time, <laughs> but the push and the pull of culture to fulfill ourselves through other people is really, really strong. Uh, the anecdote to that is abiding in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Allison, you had said something a few days ago, maybe it was a few weeks ago, that nailed into this. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to share a little bit on this section, but just that, that idea of getting our desires fulfilled by another person 
whether it's before or after a marriage? I had about 10 days on my own recently, right before some big events for work. And I, I didn't understand my son ended up with COVID and I didn't understand why God was bringing the timing of this. Uh, but it also timed out with redeeming love coming out uh, on film, which was a big catalyst in addition with Hosea this summer for a journey that God took me on. And I sat there that week. I thought God needed, I needed rest. And the more I poured into God and started to divulge with him, because I was searching still to be pursued, seen, known, and heard. And it's like in every realm that this was coming up. I, I really desired to be pursued. That was the big one that popped up. And I went and read through Hosea and then started journaling with him. And I mean, one of the things I, we talked about anxiety right there, I literally wrote, Oh, what a weight this has been to live under father. So much anxiety, fear, and disappointment and pursuing this here on earth with men, that fulfillment, that pursuit. Father, I write this and I see that you, father, pursued me. You desired me. You see me as worthy as your love. You, Father, see every fiber of me, the spirit and the flesh responses, and you love me through it all. You provide me with unfailing love I so richly desired for so many years. You provide me with the security of the relationship that I wanted so badly. I walk into any room, Father, and you say, that is my daughter whom I love. Wow. Just look at her go. And that was something that like, I'm, I'm not going to cry. That was something that as a female, I really, we talk about that desire with the male. It was pretty darn strong. And we we're just kind of taught to, and the conversations come up. I could, you not, I had a, a lunch on Sunday and I was asked if I'm dating. I'm like, nope, can very content with where I'm at, but it does come up a lot. But as far as that, I really desired being pursued. That was my, my most recent one. And I'm just faith, glad that God and all his faithfulness and his word and being able to talk it out with him, that he illuminated that, Hey, I've been pursuing you all your life. Mm-hmm. And you, you brought the second one into it, right? The need yeah. for another to share our thoughts and our hearts. That's what you were doing in your journal. You were pouring out your heart and your thoughts to God, the father, sharing your deepest desire, but also your, or the desire of your heart in that moment. Right. Right. And that's where after that, I had that moment of, oh, wow, you knew I needed time with you like that. I've said this before. It felt like, you know, when a couple goes on a vacation just to re-root themselves and pour love into each other. It felt like that. All week, God was just pouring his love into me and I experienced it this summer. But it was so cool that it came about in a a different way. But he knew what I needed long before I did. Of course, I experienced his love all before that. But it was just that intimate love that I was able to step into for about a week. 
was it was wonderful. I love that. That's powerful. And so I hope that all of the listeners can really take not only the the great points that Ricky said, Allison said, but to take those same things and to see it in your own life, in your relationship, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're engaged, whether you're dating, all of those, understanding that my dependency needs to be in God. I can share my thoughts. I can share my heart with the Lord. I can allow him to fulfill my desires. And then that brings about a richer relationship with him. And that builds richer relationships with those around us, whether it's intimate, romantic relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a mentorship, whether it's a parental relationship, whether it's as a son or daughter for your own family, it builds such a rich character in you that you can pour out now that same love that you're being filled with into others instead of a need to fix them or a need for them to help you feel better. You now have the full power of the Holy Spirit, of the the Son of God, of God the Father, all inside of you, impacting those around, just like he did with the apostles, just like he did with the early church that we read in Acts. And he's doing it in our lives, too. We just we have to live with that surrender and submission. So as we close this out, we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about, and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life, personally, in your walk. Thanks for listening, and God bless.